What is your defining posture in life? What is your defining posture in life? Kind of a weird question. Who asks these kinds of questions? I'm not talking about whether you hold your shoulders back or whatever it might be. Um, More to the end of uh, where is it that you stand? Regardless of what might be going on in life, what is it that you stand upon? What is your defining posture? Maybe this is experiences common to you. You know, when I am checking out of a store, especially those kind of stores that have all the uh, checkout lanes up front and there's a whole bunch of them, well, this, this tweaks or this uh, calls upon my optimizer part of my personality. I, I get up there and I'm scanning all the lines and I'm looking for the one that's going to be the quickest. And, and I make this assessment, I go to it and I don't stop scanning even when I'm in that line. What if another one opens up? I'm watching all the employees. Are they opening another line? Is that line going faster? Should I go over there? Trying to find the right line to stand in in order to uh, make my way out of the, the store. When we think about what our posture is, what our, our life posture is, our posture in life, it's kind of like choosing a line. And I think when it comes to choosing a posture, there's uh, a number of common ones in the world. One of the common life postures is uh, self that we're all about ourselves, that, that we're about our abilities. The line we choose is us, me, my, mine, that this is my posture in life. I've got abilities, I've got skills, I've got understandings, I've got accomplishments, and I base my life on me. And whether it's an easy time or, or, or a rough time, I'm where I turn to. Or maybe it's a situation where we have worldly associations and we we build our life on our worldly associations. And this is all about family or career. Maybe it's our group of friends or the fellowships we have. It's amazing how many different fellowships we have and we turn to. Maybe it's the the fellowship of Fox News Watchers or or MSNBC News Watchers. Or or maybe it's the fellowship of people of, of, of the United States or the fellowship of people with a similar color skin. We have these fellowships. We have these friend groups. And we turn to them. We give them voice in our life. Our life posture is based on our worldly associations. A third option is to have that line that says nothing, that this is our life posture. It's really, we don't necessarily choose any one thing. It's just nothing. Some of the more structured versions of this are naturalism. Naturalism is that understanding that all we are is atoms and that our DNA consists of atoms and our uh, brain tissue consists of atoms and atoms just simply determine what's going to happen in life. So we don't necessarily have a posture. All we have is atoms. Or maybe it's nihilism where we think, you know, there is no meaning to life. Life has no meaning and we're constrained by its lack of meaning. And so nothing. We stand with nothing. Let me offer two other really technical terms. One is waffleism. Waffleism is simply where we keep switching lines. That would be like me at the checkout, right? Looking around, is there a better line? I think I might go to this line now. No, I think I might go to this line. This is my defining posture. And then next week, because something else happens, 
well, this is where I stand. I'm a waffler. Now, a normalizer or normalism is somebody who just gets into a line and follows that line wherever it goes, doesn't really care where it goes as long as they're in that line. They'll stick with that posture, never thinking about it, giving the responsibility to someone else. Well, as Christians, I believe that we are invited, called to, stand in a wholly different line. A line that's not based on self, a line that's not based on worldly associations, a line that's not just about nothing, that our life posture is different. It has a particular defining posture, and it's a posture that's open to all who would receive it through God's grace. Our psalm, I believe, discusses this fourth line, this fourth posture, this option that we have before us. It's the biblical alternative. It's the line that forms in front of the one true God. Last week, we began our our July sermon series, which we're looking at the Psalms again, Summer in the Psalms, this collection of 150 uh, songs or poems, hymns. Today, we're actually going to take a look at Psalm 25. And before we read it, just a few words of introduction. We mentioned even last week that there are these little titles, these little comments that go right after the the title or the Psalm 25. We find the words of David. When they form, when we look at the the Hebrew of that term, of David, there's actually this prefix that goes in front of the name David, and that prefix can mean a number of different things. The little prefix can mean of or by, so a psalm by David or concerning David or in the tradition of David or for David's use or dedicated to David. And since they were kind of at, at least for the majority of them, we believe that they were added at a later time as part of the collection coming together and people writing notes and comments and distinguishing one psalm from another, these, these were provided as, as uh, part of the collection Um, we'll just simply talk about the psalmist today. We won't necessarily say that it's a psalm that David himself wrote. Now, it turns out that this psalm tends to be a a psalm of personal lament. Personal lament. Lament is such a a full kind of word. It's a a psalm that that uh, comes from a place of despair, a a place of sorrow, a, a place of longing. We say it's a personal lament, but there's, there's actually in the very last verse, it, it's broadened then into a, a communal experience where it's broadened. This, this lament before God moves from being an individual to being the whole of the people of God. And, and if it's of David, and, and so maybe it's a, a psalm of the king lamenting, and that through the king lamenting, all the people lament. But not only do we see lament within the psalm, we see signs of a psalm of confidence. We're going to see a number of different things as we work our way through the psalm that show that there's great confidence in God. So as you reflect on it and you say, you sure this is lament? Because there's a lot of positive stuff in here. Well, it's also full of confidence. It also includes stuff on guidance and wisdom too. 
the way that the author put it together, it's an acrostic. So using the Hebrew alphabet, much like there was last week, the, the writer, the psalmist, laid out these different statements, allowing the, the Hebrew alphabet to be the first letter of um, each initial word in each line. One of the outflows of that is that uh, oftentimes when you have an acrostic psalm is that the organization is a little strange, that instead of having a stanza that focuses on one thing, you have many messages coming throughout the whole of the psalm as the psalm really just way, or puts its structure to the alphabet itself. All right, with all that information, let's turn to the psalm. We're in Psalm 25. I encourage you, please, open the Bibles you brought with you make use of one of the ones we provide in the row. It's, it's going to be so much more helpful for you if you have something in front of you. We will put it on the screen as well. Let's hear the Word of God together. Psalm 25 of David. To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. O my God, in you I trust. Let me not be put to shame. Let not my enemies exult over me. Indeed, none who wait for you shall be put to shame. They shall be ashamed who are wantonly treacherous. Make me to know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me. For you are the God of my salvation. For you I wait all the day long. Remember your mercy, O Lord, and your steadfast love. For they have been from of old. Remember not the sins of my youth, or my transgressions. According to your steadfast love, remember me for the sake of your goodness, O Lord. Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore, he instructs sinners in the way. He leads the humble in what is right and teaches the humble his way. All the paths of the Lord are steadfast love and faithfulness for those who keep his covenant and his testimonies. For your namesake, O Lord, Pardon my guilt, for it is great. Who is the man who fears the Lord? Him he, will he instruct in the way that he should choose. His soul shall, his soul shall abide in well-being, and his offspring shall inherit the land. The friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him. And he makes known to them his covenant. My eyes are ever toward the Lord, for he will pluck my feet out of the net. Turn to me and be gracious to me, for I am lonely and afflicted. The troubles of my heart are enlarged. Bring me out of my distress. Consider my affliction and my trouble and forgive all my sins. Consider how many are my foes and with what violent hatred they hate me. O oh, guard my soul and deliver me. Let me not be put to shame. For I take refuge in you. May integrity and uprightness preserve me, for I wait for you. Redeem Israel, O God, out of all his troubles. May God bless the reading of his word, and may God show his favor upon us as we engage his word this morning. All right, here's what we're going to do. We're going to look at four quick things, the plight of the psalmist, the posture of the psalmist, the perspective uh, of the psalmist, and the pleas of the psal psalmist. The plight, the posture, the perspectives, and the pleas of the psalmist. So the first, the plight of the psalmist. 
You know, to understand this, it's helpful to understand the kind of culture in which the psalmist is writing. It's different than our culture. Our, our culture, they talk about our culture as being a, a, a guilt culture, whereas they talk about the Hebrew culture as being an honor-shame culture. In a guilt culture like ours, what, they, what we tend to do is we have a law, and then if somebody were to break a law, there's either punishment or forgiveness. And we, we kind of move through life having this basic understanding. And it focuses more on the individual that if you happen to break a law, either that individual is either punished or forgiven. And in an honor-shame culture, there's much more of a social connection. And so you have a status within a society, and you have so much honor or you have so much shame. And we might think in our world today that a number of Muslim cultures would be like this, that in there the, the focus tends to be more on morality or, or on purity. We also know that in East Asia there's a number of uh, countries that are like this too, and it has more to do with education. And, and if a, a, a student then uh, does well in education, it brings honor to the family, and if the student does, doesn't do well in education or accomplishments, uh, accomplishments then there's shame in the family. Well, this is the kind of context in which the psalmist is writing, that there are people coming toward him, and whether it's because those people felt hurt and they want to hurt somebody else, or, or whether they are simply being aggressive and want to take advantage and have power, they're coming against the psalmist. And they're trying to dishonor him, to bring shame on him. This is his plight. And because of this, we hear the psalmist describe himself. He's feeling, and this is in verses 16 and 17, he's feeling lonely and afflicted. The troubles of his heart are enlarged. And maybe that's how some of us came here this morning. We may be feeling lonely and afflicted that the troubles of our heart seem enlarged. And for some of us, if it's not this day, we know of that experience before. Maybe we've, we've known that one day we're going to have to face some of those as well. Maybe we've lived a pretty dream life, and, and yet we know just the way life goes, there may be those occasions in the future, lonely and afflicted, and the problems of the heart enlarged. That's the plight of the promise to the psalmist. Let's look at the posture of the psalmist. Now, this, this psalmist, the posture he takes, the line he chooses, he's very clear about the line he's in. He has definitely chosen which line he stands in. It's spread throughout the psalm. So in verse 1, he says, to you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. It's a great statement. To lift one's soul up is to, hands, to hand one's life over. To you, O Lord, I give my life. To you, O Lord, I belong to you. I am yours. Here I am. I am yours. In verse 2, O my God, I, in you I trust. In you I trust. In verse 5, for you I wait all the day long. It's a phrase to say that, listen, no matter how long it takes, I'm not going to look at any of the other uh, lines. I, I'm dedicated to you. No matter how long it takes, all day I will wait for you. I'm in your line. I'm committed to your line. In fact, the next line, 
in verse 15, my eyes are ever toward the Lord. Those other lines mean nothing to me. I'm not going to look for some kind of optimization, some kind of stepping in if that one's more expedient or, or, or it seems a little bit better. I'm not going to give in to the will of my friends or I'm not going to put family above my faith in you. I'm not going to shift and waffle around. My eyes are not going to turn from you. I'm in your line. This is the posture of my life. In verse 21, for I wait for you. It's a great picture of faith. It's a great picture of faith. You know, sometimes I think in our culture, we struggle in our Christian culture, we've struggled with this whole idea of belief. In fact, we have this way of going through life, even as Christians, where we go, oh, sure, I'm in God's line. I, I believe in Jesus. I, I'm, I'm in God's line. And then we kind of go, but I'm also kind of in my own line. And we try to be in two lines at the same time, two different postures, two different postures. It's interesting because as we watch this, it seems like whenever there's a tidal wave, we love to run back to God's line. If there's a tidal wave, I know where I'm going to be standing. My posture is to be aligned with God. And if things get too big that I can't handle, well, then I'll go and hang out with God. But if my life is full of ripples... I got this. I'm going to go be in my own line, or I'm going to go be in my worldly associations. And God, if I need you, I'll let you know. But the psalmist has none of that. My eyes look nowhere else. I'll wait for you. I trust in you. If that's the posture of the psalmist, let's look at the perspective of the psalmist. And by the way, when we look at these verses, what they do is they help us to understand why the psalmist chooses the posture he does. He gives us a number of reasons. That's why the idea of perspective. These are the reasons why he chooses the posture he does. In fact, all these verses in the psalm, if we look through all the different verses, we find in so many different places these affirmations, these statements which he uses to describe who God is, his understanding of who God is. And if we were to have the time to look at each one of the statements by themselves, we would find words like this. Salvation. Good and upright. That God is instructor of the way. That God is the one who leads us into what is right. That God is about steadfast love and faithfulness and friendship. That God is the deliverer. You know, if, if we were to ask each other, if we were to ask each other and we had this uh, question and go, you know, what is the, the best flavor of ice cream? You've heard this example before. What is the best flavor of ice cream you've ever had or in the whole world? And if you had to declare, what would it be? I bet you have your answer. For me, I, I know what the best flavor is. It's some version of coffee ice cream. It's, it could be espresso mocha chip or something like that. That's fine. Uh, but as long as it's coffee, it can be a gelato, a frozen yogurt. I don't care as long as it's coffee. And the rest of you would be wrong if you had some other flavor. That is until recently, I've kind of developed a liking of uh, uh, sea salt caramel ice cream. Oh my gosh, that's good. And then every now and then I'll have like a bowl of mint chip and go, oh, that was tasty. The other day I was in a group of people and someone mentioned their favorite 
uh, flavor of ice cream was Neapolitan because they couldn't decide between vanilla, strawberry, and chocolate. That's the line they chose. And there can be all kinds of favorite ice creams. It really doesn't matter which line you choose when it comes to ice cream. But that's not the way it is with God. If you were to ask, what's the best posture in life to have? It no longer becomes an issue of opinion. And and someone might say, but, you know, there are so many different faiths in the world. And some people are, you know, they follow one faith and you follow a faith. And the Bible's perspective is that there is but one God that created all things. And that this one God, why this God is the best is that this God has revealed himself through his words and his work in this world. So it's not just some kind of opinion, but it's what this God has shown forward in all of creation. And then along the way, choosing a group of people and saying, I'm going to build a relationship with this group of people and the rest of the world will know what I'm like through my relationship with this group of people. And so he he provided for them. He provided a land for them. He provided a law for them. He provided leaders for them. He provided deliverance for them. And even when they went away from him, he would send people after them to call them back home. Eventually, this God, this creator God, the God of the Bible says, I need to be the one who provides their solution. And he comes into this world, the second person of the Trinity, fully God, becomes fully human as well. And Jesus is in this world, and not only did he give incredible teaching and and did incredible miracles, but then he goes and dies on the cross for us. And through his death, he pays the penalty for all of our sins, everything that would keep us away from God. God paid the price for us. And then Jesus is raised from the dead, from the dead and, and death is conquered, and, and we can have life and access to God forevermore. This is why the Bible says God is the best, that this line, this posture, it's not an issue of opinion. But that if you look at all the other lines, there is only one line that leads to life. When you go through checkout lines, especially at the grocery store, you've probably noticed this. Checkout lines at the grocery store are known for the tabloids. (laughs) Right? Okay, how many of you, like, this is a little bit of thing that you kind of go, I hope nobody's watching. I've got to read these headlines. (laughs) Hilarious! So uh, the one on the left here on the screen, half man, half dog, baffles doctors. You got to know that. I like the next one. Man's 174 mile per hour sneeze blows wife's hair off. (laughs) Then it's the the little things that are in there. Like this, this line here, it's a quote from the woman, I guess. This was worse than Hurricane Andrew. That gives you perspective, doesn't it? It really helps. Or the one here on, on the right where it says, mini mermaid found in tuna sandwich. Mini, and, and then this little circle says, inside, find out where you can get a mer, mini mermaid sandwich. Oh, that's pretty cool. The headlines. What we get in the psalm from the psalmist is he gives us the headlines of the goodness of God. It's like we, we put our, he's saying, this is my posture, and, and let me tell you, in this line, here are the headlines. 
they're the headlines of salvation and good and upright. That God is the instructor in the way. That God is the one who leads you into what is right. That he's all about steadfast love and faithfulness and friendship. That God himself is the deliverer. In the line that the psalmist chooses, it's a different story altogether. All right, so then let's look at the pleas of the psalmist. If, if he has a plight and he's adopted a posture and he has a perspective as to why he chooses his posture, in the midst of the psalm, he also makes a number of pleas and his requests are many. Essentially, throughout all the requests, he says, I cannot. You, O Lord, can. I cannot, but you, O Lord, can. There are pleas for deliverance. Pleas for deliverance. They go like this. Let me not be put to shame. Let not my enemies exult over me. Bring me out of my distress. Consider my affliction and my trouble. Consider how many are my foes and what and with what violent hatred they hate me. Oh, guard my soul and deliver me. Let me not be put to shame, for I take refuge in you. They are pleas for deliverance. And maybe this is where we arrive today. Maybe this is the part of the whole psalm that resonates with me. God, in my situation, I've turned to way too many lines in my life. I, I turn to you. I want the posture. I want the answer. God, would you deliver me? There are pleas for mercy, love, and forgiveness. Pleas for mercy, love, and forgiveness. In verse 6, we read, remember your mercy, O Lord, and your steadfast love. In verse 7, remember not the sins of my youth or my transgressions. According to your steadfast love, remember me for the sake of your goodness, O Lord. Verse 11, for your name's sake, O Lord, pardon my guilt, for it is great. Verse 16, turn to me and be gracious to me. Verse 18, and forgive all my sins. And maybe that's where some of us arrive this morning. We know we need forgiveness. We know that there's nothing that we can do on our own to make it right with God and that we need God to make it right for us. And we're plagued with guilt. Oh, we behave one way when we're in front of the people we think we need to be good in front of. But then there's that whole other life that we live when we're with others, when we're by ourselves. We say, forgive me, God. The psalmist also pleads for guidance. He pleads for guidance. In verses 4 and 5, we read, Make me to know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me. And so may, it may be that some of us are here because we want to be different. We don't want the same old, same old. We want God to work in us a new thing. We want God to grow us and to shape us into the very image of Jesus Christ. And we're hungry for that. God, would you lead me forward? I'm tired of being the one who leads my own life. I don't know how to do it. I need you to make it happen. 
Again, all this is simply to say, I cannot. You, O Lord, can. Some of you know that uh, behind our garage door are usually parked two Honda CRVs. Not a lot of creativity, right? In fact, Matt, our eldest son, he has a Honda Fit, and John, our youngest son, has a Honda van. So, kind of like Hondas. Now, if one of the engines in one of the CRVs happened to need replacement, I bet you I could watch enough YouTube videos <laughs> and buy enough tools and have enough worldly associations <laughs> that I could probably replace the engine, given enough time and enough opportunity to make a lot of mistakes. But if I needed a heart transplant, there's no way I could do that by myself. I would have to go get in someone else's line. I, I couldn't choose the line of myself. I'd have to go somewhere else. I cannot do that. And so in these pleas that we find the psalmist pleading before God, he says, God, deliver me. Save me. Protect me from ruin because I can't do it. I don't have that power in my life. You alone have the kind of power, the only kind of power that can sustain me at all times, in tidal waves, waves and in ripples. The psalmist says, God, forgive me. Have mercy on me. Because, God, I can't make it right with you. Only you can make it right between us. God, guide me in your way. Transform me. Lead me in your path because on my own, I will fail. The pleas of the psalmist. So, which line are we standing in? Which line are we standing in? What is our life posture? Is it self? Is it self? Have we lined up behind ourselves and, and, you know, it's all about what we like and what we can do and how much wealth we have and we're used to being in charge and I'm managing it, God. It's me. It's my. It's mine. Are we all about our worldly associations? God, I love following you unless you call me to put my family second or third. God, I... You're great, but really, to me, it's all about being a spouse or being a parent or being a grandparent. Have we so aligned ourselves with a particular political group that, or a particular right we might think we have in this world that we will abandon God or we will uh, try to reshape what God says to align with our worldly ideology? Or are we in that line that says, you know, there really is no meaning or posture and it doesn't matter if we just waffle around. Or you know what, this is just too much work. I think I'll just follow whatever line I'm in. There's this place in the, in the Bible where God had provided for his people and God had led them into the promised land. And he, he had worked in their midst and and took care of them in the midst of their battles. And, and here at the end of Joshua's life, he, um, God tells them again, reminds them all the things he had done for them. 
And it comes down to this place in chapter 24 of the book of Joshua in verses 14 and 15, where Joshua then says to the people, he says, now therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. In other words, choose which line. Choose your posture this day. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your father served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. Choose the line. Choose the posture you're going to have. And then he concludes, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, you, you know how each one of us arrived this morning. You know our, the perspectives we walked in with, the postures we have, the plights we're facing. You know all about us. You know the condition of our hearts and how struggling life is or how free it seems. God, on this day, we choose you. And not just for this day, but we, we choose you for all days. Whether the waves are high and rough and destructive or whether they're gentle and soothing, we choose you. And together we pray for those in our company that, that are wondering whether that is the right line or not, whether there might be some other line. And maybe even this week when we forget about this conversation and we find ourselves in the group of our friends or at work or, or under our own roofs and we find ourselves drawn to those other lines, those other postures, would you convict our hearts? Would you continue, please, to reveal yourself and and let us know that you alone are worthy of all of our devotion. You alone are God. Thank you for your love. Thank you for the gift of Jesus Christ. We pray all of this in his name. Amen.